0: hi and welcome to another episode of winning with ai this week i'm delighted to announce that we are joined by gareth davies cloudapp's very own cto and co-founder he helps co-found cloud apps after several years building and productizing large-scale cloud computing and ai systems he pioneered the use of salesforce as an app development platform within enterprises such as Seller and Consulting before architecting numerous applications of Salesforce clients at Astadia. Gareth is an extremely experienced AI developer. He's created some extremely exciting products and it was a real uh, pleasure to talk with Gareth about the history of AI. In today's session, we've got a much longer session than normal, but we delve into actually where AI began And we'll go all the way from software to modern day. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you at the end of the episode. What I'm really keen to do today and to talk to you about and quiz your knowledge is um, what is AI versus normal software? Um, And what's machine learning versus deep learning? So, yeah, take us away.
1: Okay, so why don't we start off? just talking a bit about software, what software? And then we can lead into how does that compare to AI? So if you th- think about what, what software is, basically it's a set of instructions, a program um, that, that runs on a computer, and that program has to be programmed by a programmer, engineer, developer, architect, whatever you want to call us. And uh, we you know, encode instructions for how, that piece of software should behave and that software should perform some sort of useful capability um, for a user of it. Now, unless you're dealing with sort of really trivial applications, um, then most of the things that we deal with um, get very complicated. And so software in itself, we have to worry about things like making sure code is, is modular um, so it can be used in multiple different places. It can be testable programmatically. Um, so things are coherent, you know, have consistent conventions. We have we worry about things like things being decoupled. So if we make a change here, then it doesn't sort of affect a whole bunch of other things over there. Um, and you know things like making sure that our code is, is readable, simple, We don't repeat ourselves everywhere. We don't end up with what's called a big ball of mud, big spaghetti code. And so most of our skill as developers is um, about creating that kind of structure and that kind of code that conforms to those types of objectives. And so we deal with things like abstractions and trying to sort of make things reusable in different Mm -hmm. ways and understanding what those abstractions are. Are kind of like a key key part, and you know I, I kind of see most software is having sort of two sort of areas of it. What one is, there's a whole bunch of plumbing and stuff that you kind of have to have to do because applications, generally speaking, you know, need to store data. So you're going to have to have some sort of area to store data, whether that's a database, a file system, or whatever you're going to. You know, maybe you have a, a user interface that might be your browser, or an application that you install, it might be something on your phone, it might be an email or whatever. You know, some way to allow the user to interact with it, um, and then you know you've got to pass information around that system um, and make sure that that's done in a in a timely manner. You're not overwriting stuff that shouldn't be overwritten and things like that. So there's there's kind of like stuff that just has to happen to make things work, yeah. Um, and then there's domain stuff, and the domain is that's the uniqueness of the application that you want to make. So it doesn't matter what it is. If you're making an insurance app, then you've got to understand the rules of insurance. You if you're making a you know a medical application, then you've got to understand you know all different symptoms and. You know, illnesses and things, things like that, CRM and what we do, and you've got to understand opportunities and accounts and you know anything related to pipeline, that sort of stuff. So there is the specific knowledge of the domain.
0: So would it be fair to say almost that the, the domain that you're talking about there is, is almost like the brain and yeah, the face is yeah. the software that everyone engages with, but actually what's going on behind is the important stuff that, that actually makes it unique and makes us unique.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So the, the, the domain is where we create the value because all of the other stuff just kind of has to happen. Without it you don't don't have an application. But the, the domain is where we kind of differentiate yourself from your competitors or you make something that's that's kind of really useful. Um but of course, you know, we're not as engineers necessarily um experts in in any one domain. So it's, um let's let's take a, a an example outside of you know, what we do and, and and think about what what would happen if we wanted to create an application which um was able to diagnose it's a medical application so we we want to diagnose a set of symptoms and um we want to be able to come up with some sort of condition that uh is is a result of these conditions uh, of these symptoms and so you know you've got your team of software engineers and you're like okay i've i know all about sort of abstractions and stuff like that how am i going to create this thing so what you have to do is you have to bring in subject matter experts and this is how we do you know software back or uh, this is what ai used to be back in the early 1980s so they bring in like some doctor or that would, would yeah and you know they work out. You know what? What are the what? What are the rules of the system? What's the rules of our domain? If you have the patient comes in, he's got these symptoms, and you perform these tests, then likelihood is you might be have one of these three different conditions. And so you kind of sit down with this doctor guy, this medical professional, and um, you come up with a whole series of different rules, and then developers go, oh, great, I'm going to encode those rules into my program and make, make my program and then I can release that so that you know, some non-professional can put in their, their symptoms and it's going to tell them what's wrong with them. And that and that, that all goes fine and after months and months and months of sitting down and understanding what your domain is and all these rules and systems, you've got, you've got a piece of software and released it. And then three months later, some medical body somewhere comes up and they've got a new test. You've got a new test. Yeah, it's going to be um it's going to you know, diagnose this condition, and so all of a sudden, you know, oh no, my software is already out of date. So I n- I need to bring in my, my medical professional, and he comes in and look. Okay, these are the rules for this new test, and um, you need to change all these other rules. And so three months later, you kind of redefined all of that, you've rewritten your software, and you've released it again. You yeah, know, okay, okay, so that's that's all fine, and then another three months goes by and wow you uh, your medical professional he's uh, he's in the news because he's uh not done s- some great stuff before and you know maybe he's uh he's he's elaborated on some of his qualifications and things and, and, oh, no, oh, no. so my entire application has been built off of a bunch of false set of rules and things what what, what are we going to do now so you have to bring in like a whole bunch of different professionals to come in Resort out all of your rules and that takes twice as long because they can't agree on what's what and they have to come up with some sort of uh, consensus um and so you know again sort of three six months later come up come up with a new new application and that gets pretty expensive right um and yeah and this this was literally these expert systems which is basically software because you're encoding rules of the domain was was what artificial intelligence was during during the 80s. Um, but everybody got disillusioned with it precisely because of this problem. Where you kind of you're having to bring in experts and you know doctors don't want to be making software, they want to be treating patients. Be so it gets really expensive, very time consuming, it becomes impossible to update um, and maintain. And so um what what ended up happening was that during the course of the 90s um, more data became available and so you started getting uh, I guess what you might call the emergence of classical machine learning methods and what machine learning was was is able to do is you take a slightly different approach so instead of actually coding up the rules what you do is you look at historical data. So in this particular example, what you might do is you might go out and get a bunch of you know, medical records from different patients, and in there it details out, okay, these are the conditions that they ended up having, and these were the con- these were the symptoms that they presented with, and these are the tests that we ran. And so you, you gather all this data. And so you have you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of, of items of data that tell you, these are the symptoms, these were the conditions that they had
0: and then you mainly... um I was just going to say is it, is it that evolution also because of our capabilities and improvement in actually being able to store that data which we probably just couldn't do at that that scale historically yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. how it's kind of a, okay that makes yeah, sense yeah, yeah. I,
1: absolutely i mean the the concepts of machine learning have been around for quite a long time the um the early sort of the earliest Um, what you might call the origins of deep learning lie in something called a perceptron which was this machine that was built out in the late 40s and uh, was you know computer of that time you know took up a whole room and stuff like that and but had had no power to it so the the proliferation of of data and of computing power plus a whole bunch of research that's kind of happened over the last 50 or 60 odd years that's kind of really helped us determine how best to mm, analyze data and uh and and allow computers to infer things from it through through pattern recognition is is kind of where what's allowed it to become possible but yeah big big data is and you know the availability of data is definitely part of that um, and so yeah once you have this data then machine learning essentially is a computer program which is used to find the patterns in that data that essentially maps what your Input is in this case is the various symptoms and tests, through to uh, a prediction, and the prediction would be in this case again um, the, the condition that you want to want to um, display. Um, and so th- there are there are sort of different types of machine learning, classical machine learning kind of emerged throughout the eighties and nineties um, that had um different capabilities that were sort of better suited towards different tasks. Um so you ended up with things well I'm not going to go through them all but things like linear regression, logistic regression, support vector machines, K nearest neighbours, a whole bunch of you know there's a whole sort of bunch of different three letter um acronyms and that's it's, it's uh, it becomes because very confusing very quickly.
0: They all ultimately all the that machine learning trying to achieve the same goal, just different people making them different, slightly different approaches and things like that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I yeah. think so. There is, there's, there's an approach, um, the,
1: the, the, there's an approach for a particular task for a particular use case. So depending on what it is you're trying to predict or we're trying, you, it would kind of drive you towards a particular type of machine learning capability. then
0: back to your your doctor point would that then mean there's still open to some subjectiveness in the sense of i guess you're trying to to get to find an outcome based on data so it's better more accurate But you're still going to need some knowledge of people in that area seeing what that could be is that it's still open to it but a lot less risky or i think i think (laughs) what, what That
1: emphasis shifts away from having specific domain knowledge, through to having good quality data. Because if your if if your if your data is you know, good quality, which I mean, you know, it's, it's abundant. You've got plenty of it. It's come from different sources, um, and it's accurate. Then it's 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 going to give you the best possible result. Now. Machine learning is not Mystic Meg, it's 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 not magic, it's just maths, right? It's 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 just about finding a mathematical function that kind of best fits the the answers that the the, the 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 questions that it's being asked. Um so if the things that you're putting into it, if your use case has no real predictiveness to it, like a coin toss you can have the greatest deep learning network in the whole world nothing's going to get better it's, you're never going to predict any better than 50 percent on average you know it's just that's just the way it is um and but different machine learning algorithms are kind of better suited towards different tasks and you know if you want to predict a um, a condition like this so that would be like a classification problem. Versus if you're doing like a forecasting thing, then that's kind of re- considered a, a regression problem because you're going to be you know, pre- predicting predicting another a number. Sometimes you want to group together um, information you don't really know what you want to predict, but you just want to organize data into different groups of things and then look for anomalies. And that's a whole sort of different set of just um, set of algorithms that were designed to do that. So kind of what you ended up with is a situation where mach- machine learning was possible but you kind of had to have the knowledge of right here's my problem what's what's the correct algorithm that I'm going to use and then things got even more complicated when um, you, you know generally speaking you, you you couldn't just sort of take the data that you have and shove it straight into your machine learning system um, you know you can't just take an image and just put it put it into your into your algorithm things have to be um, encoded into numbers machine learning systems they only work in numbers so things have to be represented numerically but the classical machine learning um, systems generally speaking they uh, require some additional help to make them work quite well. And so this whole field of uh, feature extraction um, and feature engineering kind of came about where, and computer vision is probably the best example to sort of really go into with this, where um, if you want to like classify what's in an image, then you, you have a, a, a photograph a, an image from your computer then you have to put that into your machine and system and you expect it to tell you oh it's a cat you can't just like take the pixel values of the, that image and just shove, shove yeah, it yeah, in yeah. the, the, work, the work change every time yeah um, and and so there is this competition um in the states called ImageNet, and um, it's been running since sort of the late late, 2000s, late 2000, 2009, 2010, something like that. Um, and it was a competition where there was a, a corpus of like over a million images. And the challenge of the competition was, we're gonna give you some examples um, and you're gonna classify the thing that's in this image from you know, one of what might be a few thousand. Um, different choices and so you know you see, you see an image it's got a cat in it you your machine learning system has to say oh, it's a cat now um back in sort of 2010 2011 when these the, the winners of these competitions um i was looking at the other day they um uh they have like little descriptions of what their approach was and they'll have things like sift plus SIFT plus uh, HOG and LVP plus SVM. Uh, and then it might it'd be the same thing, the next one, the same thing, the next one, the same thing, next one, and then occasionally you might get KNN. Um, so a whole bunch of letters, you know, So then each line will be describing like four different things. And three of those four things would be feature engineering stuff. So, you know, SIFT, for example, I think that what that does is it's a statistical analysis of an image, um, you know, runs runs through some sort of a- algorithm, and it kind of tries to isolate sort of features that that could be interesting of it, um, mm-hmm. and then that is kind of transformed into a set of numbers, and it's that thing that you put into your machine learning system. So there's an awful lot of, you know, hand cranking you have to do in order to make the machine learning system effective. Um, so, you know, you've got to have all of that specialism to kind of make that work. And then you've kind of got to know which machine learning systems are, are appropriate for your use case. And every use case is slightly different. It's going to be there to suit the two different systems. Now, sort of, but, you know, it, it, it does solve the problem of, of, of of the domain and but it, it shifts the problem onto onto data having high quality data but you need sort of the now the technical knowledge of and this you know the data science type knowledge and how to create these uh the, these things effectively then a couple of years um after ImageNet started that when they ran it in 2012 so this was the sort of birth of deep learning um these guys from I think it's Toronto University. They came up with their um, solution um, which is called AlexNet, which is a neural network, which they started branding as as deep deep learning. Um, and you know the results of the competition are kind of well known. They blew away the competition. It was like Usain Bolt winning. You know, hundred meters in 2012, it was, yeah, yeah. the competition was just no nowhere to be seen. It was just a massive, massive improvement in the overall uh, effectiveness of
0: the their their result. But so what did they do differently? I guess because I mean, the image uh, learning is a good example because it's still incredibly hard, and the amount of data that must have been from machine learning side. I can see where the blocker is. How that would ever scale fully, um, or would eventually, I'm sure there's you know adaptations of it. But how did the deep learning shift, and and that, what, what was the difference? Why did it win? So the um,
1: the the big the big difference is that they they they, they use a, a a neural network, which generally speaking wasn't done at that time. Neural networks were kind of like this sort of academic thing that generally being disregarded by you know everybody in industry and a few people in academia still using it um but it wasn't really kind of a big thing the um i think the 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 difference sort of architecturally is kind of like a bit of a moot point but you know that they developed this 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 network which um had layers in it and a neural network has these things called layers. Each layer is effectively a mathematical function. Um, And it turns out that by having these layers, and you take whatever your input is, have one layer, and then take the output of that and stick it into another layer. So one function, take the result of it, put it into the next function, take the result of that. You you stack these layers together, like Lego bricks, um, and then you do that, enough times and with enough variation of these mathematical functions um then it gets really good at predicting things when you have sufficient data um now but again there's nothing magical about it there's some interesting quirks about the structure of these functions but effectively what you're doing is you're just taking a number, multiplying it by these things called weights, so they're just other numbers, adding them all up, and then you have another function which is called an activation function, um, which is, sounds fancy, but all it is, it says, okay, there are lots of different activation functions, but the norm that's typically used just says, okay, if what you put into me is a positive number, I'm just gonna return a positive number. Otherwise, if it's a negative number, I'm gonna return zero, and that's it. And it turns out that you have have have, have 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 this layer where you're multiplying things and adding them all up, combined with this activation function, sequence those things together. It has the ability to mold itself to um, uh, pr- produce these, um, the, the, the just the right sort of Set of numbers and internals that are able to uh, map whatever the input is to the answer that you want. But the fascinating thing, and I think the most impressive thing about the approach that they had with with AlexNet, is that they required like virtually no feature engineering. So they 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 really did just take the pixel values, they encoded them, they took the, the raw pixel values. They put them into this thing, and out popped an answer. So all of this stuff, you know, with hand cranking, feature engineering, feature extraction, they're doing all this other really fancy, clever stuff, kind of just went out out the window because the neural network was able to, you know, find those features that you would otherwise have to hand crank. And so that's that's kind of like being sort of the big sort of re- revelation when it comes to. Um, into 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 deep learning. Um, so, uh, and I think that as things have evolved since then, and you know that was only just over ten years or so ago, um, the 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 speed and pace of development and research in deep learning has just been amazing. But fundamentally, at the end of it it's still the same structure as it's been for quite some time. The actual algorithm to train it is, is much the same. You, ha- you have this thing called a, called a model, which has these, these, these layers, layers. layers. Um, you have a, a something called a loss function, some, also something called an error function or an objective function, which basically all that does is it just measures how good your predictions are that you're making from, from your system how does it
0: how does it measure that though so if because i guess if you're using your own data putting it through how does it know how good that prediction is so it it
1: depends on what your use case is but let's say you're gonna predict a number you're gonna you're gonna predict um sales um you you when you you have your a training program and so this is the one thing that kind of stays the same so there is a there is a training program where your model starts off knowing nothing everything is just completely random Um, and you show your model an example of um, whatever you think is going to be relevant to your outcome so it might be your pipeline value so you put your pipeline value into your deep learning model and it's just knows nothing to start off with. So you ask it, okay, what's your best guess for how much it's going to be sold? And it's going to come back in this and say, you know, 50k. And your training example, you know what the actual answer is because you've got the because it's historical record. So your loss function takes what the actual value was or what was sold, it's might be like 75k. It takes its prediction, to, um, 50k so so the, the loss is then some measure of the difference between the two A typical thing would be to like square square those errors um, so so the error would be you know the difference between the two yeah very like whatever um so you do that over and over and over again for all of different examples that you have and you track all of these errors um and then those errors are then passed to something called an optimizer and it's the optimizer's job to take those errors and to look at them and then go, okay, I need to tweak these numbers inside my machine learning model just a little bit so that the next time we go through this process again and the next time we start looking at um, you know, another example, its prediction is going to be a little bit better. And so it's this continuous flow of, Show it an example, the model makes a prediction, they establish what this loss is, and then you pass that over to this thing called an optimizer. Um, and the optimizer adjusts, tweaks the model, you go over and over and over and over again for all of the model, for all of the records that you have in your data set, um, over and over and over again. And over time, it gradually gets intelligent at doing this particular particular task. Um, so uh, that, 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 that process kind of stays, stays the same. Um, but the amazing thing is, is that by swapping out a few things, you can apply this approach to a whole different range of different problems. So it doesn't just work for computer vision, it works for natural language processing, which is what happened, happened next um so instead of you putting in images of stuff you put in put in text and you know so that, that goes well up today with chat gpt it was basically they trained their model they downloaded the internet <laughs> effectively <laughs> and trained this model to predict from any given sentence um or text abstract predict what the next word is going to be yeah and that's exactly the same as you know given this image predict what's 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 in it it's the same 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 approach um but the 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 differences are that you can you can have one effectively almost one piece of software that runs your training algorithm um but then you can tweak it to have um slightly different structure so loss functions you know the one that i've we were just described good for good for numbers but if things that you want to do are classify um, objects uh, then you need to use a slightly different loss function so there's a whole sort of set of different loss functions and so depending on what use case is okay well, i'm just going to use swap swap this loss function out plug in something else, bam, it can instead of predicting numbers, it can now predict cats. Um different training examples of obviously but um so the 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 power of it comes from the fact that you can use these things for, for multiple different um use cases you can uh adapt them um to have like the latest discovery. Mm-hmm. So AlexNet, for example, when that first came out, it was this thing called a convolutional neural net. Don't worry about what the word convolutional means, but uh, that had this thing that was eight, eight layers long. Um, then a couple of years later something called ResNet came along and um what they discovered was is that it basically is the same, just you had more layers in it. So you kind of go, okay, so I've got this loop here. So I'm just going to change the number of that loop. And now I've got magically more, more, more layers in it. Um, and each layer is, is slightly different. It's got this little tweak in it. It's got something called a skip connection in it. And all that means is whatever the number is that I'm inputting into my layer, um, I'm going to add that number to whatever the output is of, of that layer. Um, and so... It, you know it's just another line of an, another line of code to kind of add this thing on um and as it turned out making that change sort of made a massive difference to the performance of of this model it saw the whole bunch of problems with um it doing things that like, like, uh, like memorizing the, the the training set so it became much much more performance but you know, Easy to to implement because can just it's just a few lines of code and um, can, can can change things very easily. So, so yeah, um, I think yeah you know, the the fact that you have this sort of one one algorithm approach that can be used for so many different um, different processes and use cases is kind of what led to what led to the power of it. Um, yeah.
0: I definitely think it's interesting because it's quite, quite a good journey, actually, going from what software is into machine learning, because the limitations, again, if, if software was still diluted, but still some of them in machine learning, you're trying to get certain output and, instead. Um, I mean, deep learning today as well, from what, 11 years ago, kicking it off the pace of Tech and development is is insane. A few years, you know, doubling in speed and, and things like that. Um, it can be applied to so many different things. I guess we still need a level of the front end to to work to to make it accessible to normal users. Is that what the differentiator now is? Rather than having, I guess, brains built to solve a single problem or solution in an area, we now actually we don't need to worry about that as much. Instead, it's about how that's served the the face again. So it's what you put on it. And I guess you can put many faces on it. But how do you, yeah, how does that, how does it distinguish why does certain deep learning? Would it be different to others or fundamentally is is the similarities?
1: I think, you know, at the end of the day, there, there is a, there is an application that kind of sits around it, and it doesn't really matter what that is. It might be your Tesla, because um, you know. at But it's sitting in a Tesla. There is a massive computer that's doing that has a neural net in it, and it's taking input from various sensors on your car and analyzing it and 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 doing computer vision tasks. You now it's the one of the descendants of of net um and then there is you know a whole bunch of additional stuff that you have to do on top of that to kind of you know imbue the logic to make sure that the car's going to go where you want it to go that it stays within the lines and you know you're not going to you know see the speed limits crash into other cars or whatever so that there's still there's still the need for software um to kind of sit around it and make sense of whatever your your use case is um
0: yeah so tesla is a good example to guess it could fully understand and tell you this car's around you this is where the road is and everything like that um but you need the software to break and you need it to actually action those outputs otherwise you just end up driving straight into to everybody yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly but you know you're actually getting
1: some sort of sensible input into those uh, uh, those other capabilities that you kind of have to control as part of autopilot um, to to make sure that it you know it it does a- apply the rules of the road um, and yeah. that's, that's that's the same you know you can get really simple with it with Google Translate you know that's that's deep learning system as well but it's a simple interface right so it's just it's just in in, in your browser so you kind of you you, you that, that that's where you've got like ultimate flexibility because um that's where the imagination comes into it if you can apply the the machine learning to some useful application then that's where you great things that are really valuable and useful
0: yeah so yeah it's almost the imagination and creativity of what you do with it and it's going to keep developing but the restrictions are almost lifted to a degree would you so you talk about data and we'll just touch upon it lightly but um i guess one argument's going to be I'm, i'm not tesla you know i'm not one of these companies who've settled with my data in the right way what if for example, I've worked in some really big organizations, medium and small ones. The reality is a lot of them still have similarities of CRM systems aren't tidy or perfect. I use CRM because it's an example of something we work with. Putting that data into machine learning would help but nothing because you're trying to directly into machine learning mode. You're trying to, I guess, answer a question and you need the right data to set up and everything like that. What is the difference between that and then deep learning? And is there any, and I, I, without being a loaded question, but is there any potential in people's data where they don't think there's any any value? So I
1: think there's there, there's a few things in there. Um, I guess the most obvious one is thing we've already touched upon, which is. You can imagine that if you're using your data, then one of the things you don't necessarily have to do to the same extent with deep learning is is to go through the same amount of feature engineering um, that you would probably make more sense to with classical machine learning. So if your your data is quite complex, comes from different sources, account information, you've got opportunity information, you've got a bunch of other things going on that are kind of feed feeding into it, there's, there's quite a lot of nuance there um, and the the power of deep learning is the ability to kind of unpack that and distill it into things that are actually sort of useful to whatever the task is that you want to want to tra- train it on. So, you don't necessarily need to have the same level of expertise in terms of you know, creating these sort of engineered features and things like that. Um, the other sort of aspect to it, that maybe not so much of a of a thing today, but even more so in the future, is um, the ability for us to then use deep learning, and because it is literally like like Lego, mm-hmm. you, you can take your machine learning, deep learning, deep learning model, um, and swap it out. And maybe you want to get instead of um, uh, y- using uh, just the Data from your CRM system, you can augment it with some data from, I don't know, the stock exchange or whatever, um, or um, these things called embeddings, which come from the natural language processing world, where you know the, the big guys like OpenAI and Google and stuff, they have these big sort of dictionaries of. Um, of 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 things where they interpret a word and they and they send you back a number, but that number has some sort of it's a vector, uh, which is a fancy word for saying it's a, it has has some meaning. The numbers actually have have some meaning, um, and so things that are similarly related kind of have similar numbers. Um, and so when you say you're interested in a particular industry then, uh, and you're penetrating a particular industry, well, then maybe you can use these embeddings and start bringing in other inputs from other industries and working out, okay, how likely am I to be effective in in another industry just by using these embeddings? And you can just plug them straight, straight into your deep learning network.
0: Sounds good. I could use that
1: today. (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of see them as being, you know, other sort of m- more traditional systems tend to be, I think, more more closed um, and, and isolated, to standalone things, um, whereas I think deep learning has really the ability to kind of stretch out and find other sources of data, infer other things from different data structures. Um, doesn't have to just be database. Um, go, going back a few years, there was uh, um, a, a a case where, which is kind of quite common now. It's it's, it's it's a ridiculously easy thing now, but but back sort of twenty fifteen, um, there was a paper released called Show and Tell, and and its task was image captioning. So. What, it, what they wanted to do was you, you're given like a, an image, and you wanted the machine learning system to produce like a little sound bite of what was in that image. So it might be, you know, dog playing Frisbee with its own or something.
0: But like old text.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, and um, the way they solved that was effectively using two types of. Deep learning system, and they just bolted them together. So they had uh, uh, this convolutional neural network that's very good at computer vision. They put the, the the image into that, and then whatever came out of that, they put into something called a recurrent neural network, which is very good for used to be very good for natural language processing tasks. Very good for like writing sequences of words. They took, took the output of, of one from one deep learning model shoved it straight into the input of this text text model and then trained the whole thing into it, and it just worked brilliantly so it's it's amazing what you can do just by sort of plugging these things together
0: yeah that's uh i mean remarkable and going into uh, territory i've got a lot more questions on that and we could probably keep going on for, for ages <laughs> um because i start to wonder god if you plug them together what else can you do uh and it just now it still makes sense. Uh, you know, that sort of sounds simple and looks simple, but actually, that just shows how much potential there is and probably brings on to kind of the future of AI and everything like that, which we'll talk about in another session, which will be really good. Um, but that was really, really useful and really insightful and a really good history um, of how we got to where we are as well, because I think that actually adds a, a whole bunch of context to what deep learning is because without it it's kind of like a, it just feels like it gets messed up in the, the whole software learning machine learning and actually you can kind of see the evolution then so why we are where we are today and actually why the like sort of a deep learning model is outstripping the likes of machine just solely machine learning um and you know software by itself traditional software if there's then that sort of thing so it's uh yeah really interesting um, but yeah just thanks thanks a lot for, for taking us through it uh, and definitely we'll have a chat around the future of AI I think next because that's a that could take us you know a few more hours I think
1: <laughs> yeah, I will look forward to that that sounds really good brilliant right, thanks Josh
0: thanks for listening to this week's episode of winning with AI I really hope you enjoyed this special episode with Gareth Davies huge thank you to Gareth and we'll be having more exciting episodes like this coming up with different people talking about AI, the trends, and everything in between. So follow on your favorite podcast channel, subscribe, and I'll see you next week.